Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back to This Ends at Prom. You are joining us today on a nice cold Midwest winter. Everything outside looks like slush, like the worst flavor slushy that you don't want to order. But we're dealing with it because this is this is harmonized last winter. Yay. I get well, I mean I, I actually like the snow, so I don't really I don't I don't get all up in arms like everyone else did, but it did blizzard nonstop for about a day and a half and we got like 10 inches and it uh, like 80,000 people lost power. So, you know, it's just it's just a good old time here in merry old Cleveland. <laughs> um, but what I meant by our last winter, obviously winter will still exist um, no matter what. But Global warming. <laughs> it's also true. Uh, but we're not uh, we're not going to be in a snowy place for winter much longer, because if you've been following us on social media, you may have seen the announcement that we're moving and we're moving to Los Angeles and we're very excited. So, you know, this is this is the last of snow for us, at, at least for for quite some time. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty OK with that. I'm I mean, okay with I, I'm not going to be used to not having any rain and then the dry heat, as is always brought up, and <laughs> I'm it'll, just... it'll be an experience for my sinuses to deal with at a later date. We'll get, we'll, we'll adjust. Okay. We'll adjust. It'll be, it'll be nice. All right. Um, but for those who are joining for the first time, my name is BJ Colangelo. I am one of the co-hosts, and across from me in this very crowded candlelit room, because we wanted it to smell nice today, uh, is my wife. I feel like you are saying that specifically in the Borat voice. I'm trying not to do it. It's just very problem. instinctual. The, the the two voices are either Borat doing my wife or John Mulaney's aggressive That's My Wife. Like, those are the two that I have that I have to, like, consciously not say it in that in that voice. Gotcha. Well, in any case, I am your wife, uh, Harmony Colangelo. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening on the day this is released, this is, this is Christmas Eve. And it's it's a lovely day, and we wanted to do something nice and special for all of you who are hopefully at home and not traveling because we're still in a goddamn pandemic. But for those of you who are forced inside houses with your family, or people who are looking to escape from your family, or people who are home alone and just need something wonderful to escape f- with for a few hours, we want to do something special. And the special thing is that we are going to talk today about 2019's release of Black Christmas, and we have with us screenwriters and director April Wolf and Sophia Tikal. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here. This is so wonderful. 
Thank you. I'm already having so much fun just listening to you talk. Um, Aww. April went to the April I met because she interviewed me and I asked her a lot of questions and I can tell already like I just want to listen to you guys talk this whole time. She's gonna she's gonna keep reverting back and asking you questions so just be prepared. For That's All right, totally perfect. Fine. Love it. Totally fine. I'm I'm down with it. See, B- BJ's usually in charge because she knows about teen girl movies and the whole gimmick is that I don't know anything. So, uh, yeah, like, give me something to do. Ask questions. Go ahead. <laughs> well, this one is actually interesting because this is this is the first teen girl movie that Harmony and I saw together in theaters. Yes. And what an experience this incendiary film was <laughs> seeing it in theaters opening day. <laughs> it was quite fun. But before we dive into that story... Um, Usually we go to Fandango and uh, we call them our friend Dangos, our friends at Fandango, even though they're not our friends. We just, for, I am obsessed with the summaries on Fandango because sometimes I'm like, I don't know if you watched this movie when you gave this description (laughs) or sometimes it's really succinct and very good. There was one that we read that was like a single sentence. It was 16 Candles. And it was like, a girl got her birthday forgotten. It was like, oh, okay, well, that's the movie, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But (laughs) instead of going to our friend Dango today, um, would either one of you like to, you know, briefly just explain, like, what's the plot of Black Christmas 2019? Ooh, April, you do it. I was going to tell you to, but I didn't want to interrupt. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't mind interrupting just so that I would make you have to do it. What is the plot? A... A group of sorority uh, girls are... Uh, women. 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 <laughs> <laughs> a group of women in a sorority are uh, on campus during winter break, and some of them start going missing. And there are these creepy... Uh, there's this creepy person who's, like, killing people ostensibly, and the women have to survive and figure out who it is. Beautiful. I think that's a better synopsis than whatever Fandango would have came up with. Now I want to I want to type it in and see though. <laughs> it's probably similar. I though. think it's something like Hawthorne College is closed for winter break. Probably <laughs> ragtag feminist. <laughs> I guess oh. it just depends on how much of a of an internet cynic the person who wrote the summary right. of Fandango would be. Whoever was tasked with writing the copy that day, like. That'll be the the tell of, like, what kind of person they are. Yeah. Some bitches Um, get murdered. (laughs) (laughs) So when we we first saw the announcement of Black Christmas 2019, um, I I was pretty stoked. Um, The original Black Christmas is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm also, like, weirdly an apologist for the, the first remake because it's just campy and cheesy and not good but i love movies that are not good because <laughs> i'm it's garbage in what it's trying to do i think and it's, exactly yeah, and you know you you cannot fault something for the the what it's going for you know mm-hmm. i i'm right there with you and i think too frequently people or film twitter or whatever really get up in arms about well this movie isn't what i wanted it to be and it's like well that movie wasn't trying to be what you wanted it to be it was that movie was living its own life and going on its own journey and we should all respect the journey that movie is on Mm -hmm. um but when i saw the when i saw the advertisements for or the announcements i should say i was really excited And I was even more excited when the announcement came that it was PG-13, which obviously that is like, (gasps) 
to horror fans like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine something being PG-13. Oh yeah, people think that's a kiss of death. And every single time I go, um, excuse me, Tremors is PG-13 and that <laughs> film is perfect, so fuck you. <laughs> all the Tremors films are perfect. Thank you. Maybe not five and six as much, but like all the other ones. <laughs> Harmony's really hype because she just got a graboid tattooed on her leg. Really? <laughs> I like, I'm always joking about tremor worms. You know. <laughs> oh, they're incredible. I can't wait to be in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> but, so people were freaking out about it being PG-13. And I, you know, do as I typically am one to do when it comes to defending PG-13 movies where it was like, no, I'm excited because this means that an entirely forgotten audience is going to have a movie for them. And I love that. So we went and saw it uh, opening night, had a blast, and then opened our phones to see everyone else who saw it opening night and went, oh God. (laughs) Um, This was the first time I got a deal with firsthand Twitter toxicity was me defending this movie, which also, this was my first Black Christmas. So that was an experience when everyone was like, at me about it. (laughs) Yeah, because Harmony had just joined Twitter when this movie came out. So I was like, oh, well, uh, welcome to Thunderdome. Here it is. Their their booze fueled me. It felt great. (laughs) So... So uh, I, our theatrical experience, obviously, we had a great time. We had fun. But what was interesting is we sat next to a couple. They were a little bit older than we were. No, they were quite a bit older. I do have bad vision. He, he, he was a grumpy old man. He was, at <laughs> least, he was old enough to be gray, however okay. old that was. However old that is. And presumably wife, girlfriend, partner, we're, we're not sure. And... It was uh, right at the Diva Cup line where he went, ugh. <laughs> Which was surprising. I was like, this old man knows what a Diva Cup yeah, is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty much that for an entire movie. And the wife being like, stop, I'm trying to watch this. Because she was clearly super into it. And um, when the credits rolled, he made some sort of comment that was like, oh, well, that was a waste or whatever. And his wife looked so dejected because she had a great time. Like, she loved it. And I had this moment where I was like, I wonder how many other people in the world are having this experience where they're watching this movie. And they're like, I love this movie. And this movie's for me. And then there are just people around them that are like, nope, it's bad. And how we all internalize that. And that experience alone is why when it came to our, our first Christmas on the podcast where we're like, yeah, we're talking about Black Christmas 2019 because this is very emblem, like it's very emblematic of what is at the heart of this show and just kind of, you know, going going to bat for for films that people dismiss because, you know, they're they're telling a story for, for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. I think um, people don't like women. <laughs> yeah who'd have thought i've been on the internet <laughs> so my questioning <laughs> is <laughs> i mean honestly that could be the show it's just like people don't like women and good night thank you yeah. <laughs> so my question for you is when you find out that like you get to you get to rewrite black christmas which is you know nuts and you know an an amazing thing um what made you decide that this particular story was the one that you wanted to tell well i guess the thing i'm just like set the stage which is blumhouse approached me about like they had bought the rights to black christmas 
Mm-hmm. And they approached me in like February 2019 and they were like, we have this title, basically. You can do anything you want with this script, but it has to be released this December. So you basically have like a month to write a script and then you have to start getting ready to shoot. And at first I really, really took them literally when they said you could do anything you want. And I, like, <laughs> I was like, so I have a story about three middle-aged women. And they're like, no, there has to be some element of <laughs> sorority, like sorority, college, whatever. And I had no time. And so I like really quickly wrote just like a very straight ahead slasher movie that was so messy and had, you know, like, I guess more than your typical slasher movie dynamic female characters, but just didn't feel fresh or new in any way. I also like went on a really weird tangent. April, I don't even know if I ever sent you this version where it was like a really, really, really cool. (laughs) I'm so proud of the script. Like, school shooting movie where an incel shoots up a sorority and like the person that you establish as the final girl is the first one to die so like it's really jarring and they were like no we can't make that movie either um and so i I want that movie i would love that movie i think i think the idea is just like it's very obviously it's like a very upsetting subject matter Mm -hmm. and i think it's really hard to make a movie about it because no one wants to seem like they're capitalizing on that tra- that type of tragedy. And right. yeah. they, it happens so often that it's like at any moment your release could get derailed by the fact that it really happens in real life. So that was kind of yeah. a, a conversation around it. So it's kind of dark little tangent, sorry. Um, but but I, like, I really loved April's writing. April had sent me a, another script that she wrote that I loved. And I also know that she knows everything there is to know about horror movies. And I like I really love horror movies, but I'm not like as deep into like the deep cuts as April is. So I sent her this like straight ahead slasher movie that I had written. And I, I don't remember if I had like prefaced it by saying like this just, I don't really feel like making a movie about a bunch of women just getting killed. That feels bad right now. Like it's Trump is in office, Brett Kavanaugh had just been confirmed. I just like wasn't in the mood to torture women uh-huh. for the sake of torturing them. And April came back with all of these like really just brilliant, creative ways of taking what was like a typical slasher and turning it into something else. And so I was just like, these ideas are so cool. Do you want to just write the script with me? And thankfully April said yes. And I think the thing that was like the most, and, and this, and then April, I don't know, like you want, if you want to take it from here, but like, then I was just like, you write your version of a draft. And that was sort of like how our collaboration started with April taking what I had written and then like turning it into something that was her own, which is not the script that ended up being, but it was also awesome. When she had sent me that script to, um, there was like, you could tell the parts that she was more interested in and the things mm-hmm. that she was more interested in the story. Like, for instance, that talent show parody scene um, of, of the song, that was always there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and those four main characters were always there. But there was a kind of pop sensibility that you could tell in the... Like that came out in that particular, like the the talent show scene that was like, oh, I think that's what we want to evoke. Like that seems like what would be most interesting to her. And mm-hmm. it kind of felt like we started reorienting things to make sure that they fit around and with that. And in a sense, you know, like, I'm not sure how like much you were cognizant of the fact that it was like kind of like a mean girls-ish type of <laughs> yeah parody but you know (laughs) like that's that was like part of the thing is just like this is you know a kind of um hopefully taking a bunch of tropes and things from 
movies that have starred young women, you know, traditionally and kind of turning them on their heads or owning them in a different way. But it, I think one of the things that is makes me happiest is when um, when people talk about the movie and they say that, like, that scene is their favorite, the one um, with the talent show, because it's like mm-hmm. that is very much it, it's like so obviously the thing that that Sophia needed to have as a centerpiece, like from the beginning. And and then it just I think it works in a, in a really different and beautiful way in the way that we ended up having the script go. I will fully admit that. I'm, I'm a very active theater participant. I'm the person who crawls around in the seat because I, I don't do well with jump scares because it heightens my adrenaline and makes me like sometimes throw up. It's fine. <laughs> but I'm also the person that has no problem uh, having audible responses when I'm happy with something. And when that talent show scene, scene happened, I mean, obviously I see them in the outfits, so my brain is like, aha, Mean Girls, like that clocks immediately. But when they start singing that song, that I think was the moment where I was like, yep, this is, this movie's for me. I love this. Oh my God. And of course, like I'm glowing with excitement as it's happening. And, you know, dude next to me is just, just so grumpy about it. (laughs) I love that scene so much. Yeah, I do. You're right, April. That was the thing that I was most into. Yeah, you were like, no matter what in the drafts, like, that's the thing that stayed. And I think it slowly just kind of came around to being like, well, this is the thing that is most important to her. So everything else has to kind of rearrange to fit into that. Yeah. And then I think like, you know, I'm always really interested in we can like, we'll get into the Twitter discourse later. But like, one of the things that I'm so interested in, that I feel people misunderstand and the thing that was like to me the most brilliant uh, innovation, for lack of a better word, that April came up with in the script was to make this a supernatural manifestation of misogyny. And April, mm-hmm. you talk about it really eloquently, just about how misogyny sometimes feels like dark, ma- like like black magic. Yeah, it just. I mean, I think like we had kind of played around with the idea that like misogyny feels. It feels old and it feels heavy and it feels inescapable and you can't really figure it out and you don't even know its origins and it becomes kind of like unwieldy in that way. And so I think that just kind of like it being something that is tangible, that has been always there kind of under the surface is um, something that that we were playing with just and that's all kind of inspired by Sophia and I being pretty downtrodden by you know, the Canada confirmations and, and all Mm -hmm. of these people who are just like showing their asses constantly day after day, when we talk about, you know, like, oh, you know, misogyny is systemic, it's blah, blah, blah. But then when you realize like, oh, no, misogyny is essentially like nine of these very powerful men in a room dictating what happens like around the rest of the world. And, and it's true, like, there's like, literally, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, there's literally like, these very specific men in power who are misogyny (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and it's like partially yeah it's it's systemic but there are like real people who are responsible for it for pushing these ideas for doing these things and it's like I don't know it felt like we had to kind of represent that in some kind of um uh corporal way and I'm really glad that you you bring up that point so Harmony I'm curious how 
the like the the misogyny angle sort of resonates with you because misogyny is something that you obviously were aware of but now you're experiencing it you know later in life it's not something that you had as like a child so (laughs) (laughs) so so I guess how how did that sort of angle resonate with you when we were watching it um for the first time or even in now subsequent rewatches so I've actually seen this movie three times now uh, we saw it in theaters last year on opening night. We saw it in July for an online um, movie night with some friends. Mm-hmm. And then I rewatched it this current week for the podcast. And I just love it so much more the third time where it's like, okay, the first time I soaked everything in, the second time I was sort of watching the movie and then seeing how people responded in the chat to it, which was, you know, mostly positive. And... This third time, I really got to hammer in on, or like, I guess, focus in on all of the things that are happening. And I really, really love how this movie handles, like, handles its misogyny angle. I love it so much. And I, if I can gush, I don't think it got enough credit for how smartly it does it. Because... Since I saw this the first time, I've seen all three Black Christmases now. And I guess uh, I, I think of the the discourse that I have in regards to the first one and how it relates to this one. And the argument I kept hearing over and over again from guys online or even women who I would say are a, uh, are a like, a Helena-type character. <laughs> Girl, yeah. They, I, yes. yes. There's a lot of Helenas out there is what we've... Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, uh, yeah, just really in bed with the enemy. But the thing that I kept seeing them argue was, I don't hate women because I love other horror movies. Like, are you going to say that I hate women because I think that uh, Halloween is great or Alien is great? I I clearly don't hate women because I like these things with women. And I would always respond to them that... You clearly hate women because you don't care about women's issues. You circumstantially like these women because it's it's got this air of like, oh, you can't hit a girl, so you're rooting for her from like your chivalrous like right. animal brain version that you're programmed <laughs> to. But you don't actually care about women's issues, which is like I, I don't want to say the gimmick of this movie, but like that's the theme. Like I'm I'm a sucker for any movie that like it really knows what it's going for with its theme where it says like, oh, it's a killer clown movie. We're going to have spooky clown stuff happen. Great. Perfect. It's whatever it is. And God, this movie sets. <laughs> <laughs> but it sets up in those like first like 30, 45 minutes where it's like, okay, it's going to follow a very distinct Christmas gimmick. And it hits a point where it's like, oh, no, we're not talking about Christmas anymore. It's it's. The the theming is not, oh, it's a Christmas movie. The theming is, this is an angry feminist movie. And it comes back to those people who were watching it and they were mad that it's not what they wanted. Because they're like, well, the original Black Christmas was feminist because abortion. And I'm like, okay, cool. But also, you're not really listening to women. You're just using that as a scapegoat to prove your point for why you're allowed to be mad at this movie and you need to kind of just chill out and actually listen to people and not this person who's just 
agreeing with you. I have so many intense feelings, and I'm a jumbled mess <laughs> of thoughts. She is, like, because like, obviously this is an audio uh, I'm gesturing platform. quite wildly. There's a lot of gesturing <laughs> happening. She is, like, squared up in her chair right now. I'm, I'm, I'm leaned forward. I'm a little sweaty. Like, <laughs> So, back to what BJ was saying, yes. just like this is like, does this jibe with your experience of misogyny that you are perhaps a little bit newer to? Does it the movie's experience with it jibe with your experience? Yes, <laughs> because even even as even as someone who's trans, and you know, I'm oh god, was was eleven years now, so it's mm-hmm. it's, it's been a, it's been it's a hot been sec. Some time. In that time, I've I've run the gambit of having to deal with misogyny in in one shape or another. And watching this movie, even for me, someone who did not have like a college experience or a you know a, a teen girl experience, I'm sitting there going, "Yep, that's a familiar feeling. Yep, that's a familiar feeling. Boy, that security guard puts too much mayonnaise on his sandwich." <laughs> okay, I think it's the right amount of mayonnaise, you guys. That was like very specifically written into the script for us. We were like, wouldn't it be great if he just kept putting mayonnaise on the sandwich? Yeah. And I had oh, to ask them, I had to ask the sound mixers to turn up the sound of the mayonnaise so many times. They were like, really? More? And I was like, I want to hear that fucking mayonnaise come out like it's jizz. Oh, it's it is, so gross. It is so repulsive, but I had this weird like lizard brain reaction where all I could think about is the Nickelodeon movie Harriet the Spy. Oh, yeah. With, the, with gully the or whatever. tomato yeah. and mayo <laughs> sandwiches because that like I do not like mayonnaise. I have like a very visceral like uh to it. Oh. So watching that scene, I was like, it's Harry to smile over again. <laughs> I think about that movie and those tomato mayonnaise sandwiches like really often. Have you had think, one? Oh yeah, I love mayonnaise. I really do. It's so good. Oh my, I love mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise <laughs> too. It's so good. So good. <laughs> I like I like homemade mayonnaise. Not like it, it's it's got a very different quality to it. But like tomatoes and mayonnaise, those are very polarizing foods. Like both of them. <laughs> Put some like, BJ, you don't like either too. of those. I liked. I liked. I'm a. I have a weird like texture issue. My body, like even if I like the flavor of something, my body will be like no. Um, and like certain types of tomato. Uh, is one of like the weird textures where my body is like, oh, I think I know what this texture is like, and then it doesn't have that texture, so then it like rejects it. So like tomato sauces, I'm good. Like fried tomatoes, I'm good. Like freshly sliced tomatoes, my body is like, no, 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 we're oh, not, we're not doing this today. It's very, it's very strange how. Like, I also can't eat peas for the same reason because my brain is like, these are going to be crunchy, and then they're not. So then I like, <gasps> I can't do it. It's very, it's very weird. I have the palate of a toddler it's fine oh my god (laughs) um but in thinking about that that security guard scene though um i mean this is something that i'm very vocal about and you know listeners of the show and anyone familiar with my work already knows this but like i'm a very vocal uh survivor of sexual assault and that moment is probably the moment that i had the most visceral response to it um like Harmony, forgive me if if I'm incorrect, but I do believe that I like may have like kung fu gripped your hand, like and with all of the strength that my like, and I have like super small hands. Like my 14 <laughs> year old nephew has bigger hands than I do. You have um, child's hands. I have children. I have to buy children's gloves. Like they're very small. Um, but I just remember watching that scene and watching him dismiss her and just like 
clenching as hard as I possibly could because I've been there. And like, those are the moments in this movie where I get so fucking angry at the people who try to dismiss it because I'm like, you know, you don't understand like how accurate and how well this movie is capturing something that so many people and likely people you know and people that you care about have had to deal with. Um, whether it's a, a police officer, a security guard, a doctor, a teacher, a counselor, whoever, um, people just dismissing the idea or of, of or not taking you seriously or trying to poke holes in your arguments um, and just wow, that scene is, like, so incredible. And it's, like, yeah, it's fun to be, like, haha, like, <laughs> all that gross mayonnaise. But at the same time, I'm, like, but that scene, like, I needed to fixate on that mayonnaise so I didn't freak out yeah. and be, like, ah, it's too real. Yeah, but, but BJ, BJ. you're hitting on something that I hope that, that I think was probably a hurdle to some people watching the movie, but that was something that Sophia and I knew from the get-go was that we were going to be playing with a lot of competing tones, within mm -hmm. the same mm -hmm. scenes uh, that that people were going to have to kind of learn how to deal with serious things at the same time that there was like quite a bit of like fun or strange um, kind of tongue-in-cheek stuff happening at the same time and I I think that some people didn't really learn the language of our movie and that's a shame but the people who did learn the language of it I think that they came away um, hopefully understanding everything that we were trying to say and that we were also trying to give a little bit softer blow to some of that stuff because it is very hard to take all in a, a one movie, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think about with, with the, with our, our main character with Riley and I think about um, like a criticism that I saw a few people make that I took, I took, you know, kind of like personal offense to was that they couldn't understand like how she could like go back into that house or how she could be okay with it with her friends or you know talk about it without it being this big dramatic thing and I think that it's this is one of the the few examples that I look to in I like I like calling it like the anti-SVU um response to to people who've survived assault because I think so many people if they've not had like a direct relationship with it they believe that like okay your life is ruined now and yeah. like you cannot go on and everything's terrible and you look at somebody like Riley where it's like yeah no she still has to deal with like a lot of these microaggressions but like this is like that's life for her now is having to deal with these microaggressions and having to get past them and not letting it consume her and being able to find those moments of of strength and power like the talent show scene or just standing up for herself in class or what have you and the amount of people that were like I just don't that just doesn't seem real to me and I'm like then you clearly don't know people because I guarantee you a lot of people that you're surrounded by are doing that every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I have found that the, I guess the critique that I read that not bothers me, that's not the right word, like bums me out most is when people feel that we didn't handle the sexual assault stuff in the right way. For, like I first of all I don't I kind of kind of what you're saying like everyone handles it differently yeah mm -hmm. and there's I mean it it doesn't bother me like oh fuck you for having that opinion I'm just like, genuinely upset that it's upsetting to people that we didn't handle it the right way and I'm, mm -hmm. but then like I guess I take comfort in the fact that like 
every yeah it's just like everyone exists in the world in a really different way once they've had an experience like that oh totally we, yeah like what is the right way and that's the thing know? there isn't there isn't one there is no right way that's going to be 100 percent okay for everybody because all of our lived experiences are different all of our circumstances are different all of our res- like trauma responses are different um it, it actually reminds me of uh, a tweet by Grace Thomas that I've been talking about for like an like the last week now because I'm obsessed with it. But she was writing about all of the people criticizing Happiest Season, and she said if Happiest Season has one fault, it's that it's not 100 hours long and goes into it every single way a coming out story could. <laughs> and obviously, she's making fun of the discourse because it's just you know people being like, well, that's not what mine was like, or that's not what this is like, or I wish it was a different way. And I think that's probably similar to what was happening with Black Christmas is that there were a lot of people who were like, no, 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 this is, this is really great. And then there are those that were like, I don't feel seen by this. And it's because it's impossible for everyone to feel seen by one piece of art. Like that it's impossible for that to happen. I think also maybe people mistook Chris's point of view as our point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I think Chris really pushes Riley in a way that maybe bothers some survivors of assault because mm-hmm. she's like just not interested in giving Riley the space that Riley needs to make up her own mind about how to handle things in certain situations. But I, I, April, maybe you felt differently, but like I felt like that was just like that's that particular character's flaw. Like she's yeah. impatient with her friends. Yeah. It wasn't like I, it wasn't like me as one of the writers saying like, yes, everyone should just get over and fight and that should just be that. Yeah, there's, I think there's a certain kind of thing that we have with um, film discourse right now, where we expect our characters to be, you know, kind of perfect gleaming examples of things. And the thing is that I I think when Sophia and I set out to kind of um, shape these characters, they all had their own faults. And whether or not you choose to see them as faults is something that is, you know, your deal. But to us they all had faults and Chris definitely had an impatient streak and there was something about her where it's just like I have been that person and I've had those friends before where they're pushing me a little bit too much and even though they're right about so many things it might not be on my time or what I'm capable of of that moment and you know in the same way that I've done that to other people and I and I think that that is something you know, Sophia's really right about is that people were thinking that Chris was like just us whereas it's like chris is actually an amalgam of so many people and so many things and experiences of in the same way that riley is and the same way that you know jesse and and marty are and and the male characters too and and also like i think it's I'll, i'll go back and like i i've written like a handful of personal essays and one of them that i wrote uh a while back was about how i dealt with my rape through humor and how um, my friends and I just developed the darkest um, sense of humor about it as a means Mm -hmm. of coping. And um, there's something that I definitely know that I put into um, the story and the script in in that way of like, there is a kind of sick, twisted um, cynicism to some of Mm -hmm. it because that's how I dealt with things. And that's, you know, um, felt familiar to me. It's just that, that there, there might be humor in those moments and you might be brave in some other moments and you might not, 
and and in other ones you might feel the gravity of it but you're never going to be dealing with it in the same way all the time it's just like a, an amalgam of so many emotions coming at you that change day to day and it, yeah so to me it felt quite personal and you never want to hear that that you've kind of like hurt people because they didn't feel that experience resonate with them but you know Sophia we got so many people who did say it, it did resonate with them oh yeah totally you know? I just only focus on the negative which I talked to my therapist about today oh that's right <laughs> Sophia is also an actor so <laughs> basically just a total deadbeat loser <laughs> in other words I was just watching a movie where someone was just like actors are the scum of the earth what? I forget what movie it was. I was like, yes, definitely. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a self-hating actor. <laughs> I think um, that comes with the territory from everyone I know who uh, who does acting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, like, if actors didn't hate themselves, they wouldn't feel the need to act. So it's cool I, I, that they hate themselves. Yeah, I think that's what? just some, no, some level of... I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to go along with that. Well, um. I don't... I, I just... I, okay, this is like definitely not the forum for this. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I do a lot of a lot of musical theater. And a, a constant thing that I always tell people is, I've played Tracy Turnblad seven times in Hairspray, and I don't put her on my resume. And I don't do that specifically because whenever I go to audition, somebody will say like, oh, wow, have you never played Tracy? I'm like, no, I've played her seven times. And they're like, well, why is it not on your resume? And I'm like, because you take one look at me and you know I've played her. I don't need to put her there. And like, that's my own like weird self-hatred of like, I'm typecast forever. So I feel it. I I feel it. (laughs) But like coming back, something that I really like that you were just talking about was that um, the, the characters are flawed, our, our main foursome in particular, but like, you know, everybody in this movie is flawed because that's how people are. <laughs> like, flawed characters are complex and that makes them more real. And it's such a like damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario where if you write a character who's a lot more like, I guess, pristine or has like less obvious character flaws, then you get someone who's like a Mary Sue and then the Star Wars fans bitch and moan for four years about how much they hate the franchise so there's no there's no pleasing people in that sense i guess so i i I just i like that people like me and bj and everyone else saying nice things are are taking good good solace in in these characters in these stories no it's really exciting that people like it (laughs) (laughs) you said it in like the least excited voice though you're like yeah it's really exciting oh (laughs) It's just starting to get dark around here, and I guess I'm feeling like a little bit more mellow as time goes on. It's <laughs> um, fine. We're going to just turn this into a slumber party eventually. Yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, so I wanted to to touch on you know some of the some of the male characters um, since this is such a movie about women, but there is so much storytelling happening um, through our male characters. And the one moment that I think is the most just like, I def, I think I might have like yelped in, in the theater um, is you were talking about the, the influence of Brett Kavanaugh. And then we have, you know, the boyfriend mm-hmm. saying, I like beer. Oh, and yeah, I had, I had this like loud, I'm going to back away from the microphone, but I had this loud, like, ah! like in the, the second it happened, 
Because... Oh man, I wish I had seen the movie in the theater you were in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm a wild person to see theaters with. My Invisible Man screening was a, a oh, time. Yeah. I'm also very vocal. I like I actually hate scary movies because I get so scared, and I like can't stay. That's why I love them. But I've yeah. I've talked before about um I, re- I actually wrote a piece about fear and how you know the body processes that emotion for shutter and in it i confessed that i can't go to haunted houses because when i'm in enclosed areas my response is to fight and i have a tendency (laughs) to throw punches and i have definitely hit people working just trying to do their job and it's like i can't go here anymore because i am a liability (laughs) i'm sorry Um, oh that's amazing. But, <laughs> but but talking about talking about these men, um, I'm just curious, like what your motivations were behind who these characters are and like why they are the way they are. Because for the most part, like with the exception of, I mean, like Landon, I like just want to punch all these dudes in the face. <laughs> and like I know that's not the best response, and like I should talk to my therapist about that. <laughs> But I'm I'm really curious. Um, I think we talk a lot about like male screenwriters writing women, but we don't talk a lot about women writing men. Um, so I'm just curious about your your. Process Although I think you could anyway. lob the same critique at us as you might a man writing woman, which is that the characters are rather two dimensional. But I think okay. that was <laughs> no, I agree with you completely. It makes the men mad, design. though. I know. Well, it makes the women mad too when that happens to us. Right. Um, I don't think anyone likes being rendered flatly, but I think in this case and I actually April wonder if it was a mistake to and I think this was like a directing choice more than a writing choice like to make it so obvious that these people were so bad and I actually think the security guard is the most interesting male character because he's like actually like that we we talked I talked so much to that actor who was a great actor this guy called Mark and like he doesn't know how bad he's being. And he probably thinks of himself as an ally in some ways. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's a really interesting, that's like probably most of the people who saw the movie, you know? And Mm -hmm. that's like a much, a very interesting type of badness, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. And also like kind of, this is maybe like, again, tangent, but like also when we were making the movie at the end and this idea about how this black goo, aka misogyny, touches everyone. It's just like even people who have good intentions like get touched with this mm-hmm. evil energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think like the only like the only thing that I really really remember um, about any of the other dudes, other than like being so stoked to do this Camille Paglia quote, is just like being like <laughs> definitely. Um, what was Ben's character's name? Phil. Yes. Definitely Phil has to wear shorts in the winter. Like yes. that was <laughs> And and April one of the coolest things that like no one will ever know because it's in the script, not on screen, it's just like April wrote the best character descriptions that were like just so succinct, but like not just like twenty hot. It was just like one sentence that like perfectly captures someone. It was like, Where's shorts in the winter? And it's just like that to me says so much about that character. Oh, yeah, I know that guy, like, immediately. <laughs> I don't understand people like that, because I got I got my tattoo recently, so I've been having to wear shorts at home, inside in the winter, so that it can, like, be <laughs> lotioned properly and doesn't get rubbed. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm so fucking cold. <laughs> I hate it. My toes are cold now, too, because my legs are just cut off from the body source. <laughs> I imagine that Phil also 
probably shaves his legs too. So he's like wearing shorts. I don't know if the character does. Like, this is just something I made up just now. But I was like, I think he probably <laughs> doesn't have hair on his legs either. So he's probably like extra chilly. Yeah. Oh, I think no. he's a swimmer too. Yeah, he's definitely a swimmer. <laughs> and lacrosse. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the men in this movie, and we, we shit on them all the time on the show, so I don't feel bad about it. But we live next to a house of a bunch of really young college boys, and they are all definitely like the polo with khaki shorts and like the athletic socks that are like way too high for Pop, whatever reason. Popped collar polos that yeah. are in Easter colors yeah. year round. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those guys. Those kind of guys. Just like the eyes. So, yeah. Yeah. So whenever we see whenever we see them, there is kind of that like thought in our head of like, mm, you have black goo in your house. Yeah. I don't trust you. That's so funny. Well, the other thing is just like, okay, so like when we were doing press for this movie, like I had a little spiel of like, we're not all men, because you know, you don't want to make everyone mad. But in the uh-huh. <laughs> but like on my more generous days, like sometimes I'm like, no, definitely all men. But like on my more generous days, I do feel like we were trying to embody a particular type of guy, like mm-hmm. the entitled, white, straight, like comes from money, probably grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, like yeah. type of person. So again, like misogyny can infect everyone, but I do feel like there is a certain, I don't know, I, I don't feel, I feel like we like made it point to make all the, like Carrie Elwes looks like Brian, who looks like Phil, like we kind of tried mm-hmm. to make it. So mm-hmm. they're all almost like the same. Yeah, it, I think for me, it kind of it always bugged me that, like, why would you want to try to identify with these men? <laughs> yes, thank you like, for saying it. These women, like, I don't care your gender. Like, you should be maybe identifying with these with these women. Like, why right. are you trying so hard to identify with these characters that we've already kind of established are a specific type of villain? And it's, I think, also. Marty's boyfriend gets a little bit short shrift. Oh, yeah. Because I think that he is... I forgot about him, which is, like, classic for Nate. Yeah. He's, like, he's trying. He does try. It's just that, like, he can't hold out for very long. He's just, like... How do I want to to phrase this? Nate is an interesting character because he is so kind of um, oblivious to the possibility that he might be, um, you know... uh, a, a victim of kind of turning against like this woman that he loves that he just like it never even enters his mind you know he can't he can't even see the fact that he could potentially be misogynist and that ends up being his kind of like achilles heel the thing that that allows it to turn him essentially yeah is that he, he, oh exactly so um and i think i think he's a good person and i think he's a good character and i think you're right you're totally right He's so good. I think Landon is a good character, too, because he also doesn't know that what he's doing is kind of creepy. You know, he doesn't know that when he's coming into the coffee shop that he's like kind of making her a little bit uncomfortable because he comes there and he stares at her. He never (laughs) says anything. He's just lurking around while they're having a personal conversation. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And it's just like he's also a good person. He just doesn't get it. So there's like there's a few characters to me, like the security guard, Nate and Landon, who I think are actually like good men. It's just that they they just don't get it. And they don't they don't know what evil is out there in the world. Right. I love. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, you. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) But, and I think that's kind of like the, the overall vibe of this movie is that guys take like, like shitty dudes have taken this movie as it being like men versus women, like all men are evil and they clearly aren't, but that's what they want to see because that's what they think the movie is saying because they're 
you know, mad about whatever thing they're projecting on this movie. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is that the only evil part of this film is this one sorority. Like, that's where all of the evil... Or Yeah, first fraternity. I didn't go to college. (laughs) My bad. But this fraternity, yes, that's exactly what I meant. But uh, this fraternity is the is where all the evil is based out of, and I mean, I guess unfortunate for for the guys who are seeing themselves as the villain now, but refuse to admit it. That uh, that's where most of your male characters are coming from. Just happens to be the this nucleus of of toxic men that you know. Who'd have thought Greek life bad bad vibes? But <laughs> yeah, all the other guys flash, in this, like we knew this. Well, how is this news to people? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but. You get these, um, uh, every other, like, you know, um, like, satellite man on campus is not necessarily a bad person. They're just oblivious. And that's, I mean, I guess just the, the bliss of ignorance is, 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 a, is a nice thing. But it's not all men are evil. It's people choosing to read this movie the way that they want to because they want to be mad, I guess, or... I, I don't know. I just can't imagine that, like, neckbeard type men belong to this sorority, that they should be sticking up for it. Man. Also, I keep saying sorority. Yeah, well, I just, like, there's no reason for them to identify with, like, the Deeks. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But I don't know. I it's who they want to be. If you're, if you're identifying with the Deeks, I think that you just kind of hate women and you hate femininity. Uh, I think it's, <laughs> I, I, April, I think it's maybe something else, too, which is, I just don't think that, especially in horror, well, that's not true. Not in horror, because there's always final girls, and like women are often the ones who are like victims. But I, I just don't think that men are used to like just not seeing themselves as like three dimensional centric central characters. But they don't. Oh, absolutely. We're not coding our women as male, and that's what you get in so many. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's what you mm-hmm. get with a lot of final girls is that they take on a kind of like masculinity. And mm-hmm. we do that in some respect at the end, which I think for for me, that's purposeful when, when you're writing it, because there is that Camille Paglia quote that is like, you know, whether, whether or not people will actually know like the kind of deeper meaning of it and like the kind of like negative and positives of the ending is just like that to win, essentially, you have to play like men play. You know, you can't you can't be feminine. You have to you have to play like them. You have to become kind of masculine. And, you know, that's something that we're playing with in the end. But that's what final girls do traditionally. And, you know, we try to subvert that throughout, you know, because we have women actually talking about women things and not just being like, you know, you know, some of my favorite characters are like in Halloween where you've got PJ Souls just being essentially a bro. And I love oh, her. Totally. She's an icon. I love her. Total icon. But also, like, is there room for actual femininity to survive and to be a final girl? You know, like, that's that's something that we're, we're always kind of playing, uh, like, the tension on. You know, like, do you have to become kind of masculine to survive? Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I, I feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not nearly as much of, like, a horror scholar as several people in this conversation I know for a fact (laughs) but um my understanding of like the final girl is always been that um she's written not necessarily because they want a woman to survive but it's more so exploiting the sympathy of the audience and that's why a woman needs to be the final survivor in a slasher yeah if if they could get away with it being a dude and still have the same like visceral response from moviegoers then I feel like it would have been written that way more often 
because women elicit more um, sympathy because they're like more helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Because then in the few instances where we do have, have men in that position, um, you know, then it's rejected because that the, the men are seen as feminine and therefore then we're now adding not just the misogyny that we, we feel towards, mis- towards femininity, but then also homophobia towards right. believing that feminine men must inherently be, be gay in, yep. in some way, shape or form. So it gets, ah. it gets dicey and messy and really frustrating yeah um but in in talking about you know the the, men should not be seeing themselves in this i something that i think is happening i think we're seeing it a lot now too with how white people are dealing with black lives matter and how they're so incapable of understanding their own contributions to white supremacy or even if they're not actively participating like how they're benefiting from it and i think that's what's happening with a lot of the men watching this is they don't understand why how maybe they're not directly pushing into patriarchal ideas and pushing women down but they're not understanding how they're benefiting from it i I think a lot about the the conversations where men don't know what it means to put keys between your knuckles and like they don't understand like why that's a thing for people and that was wild i didn't know that i didn't know that that would resonate so much when we put that in isn't that Mm -hmm. oh it's wild i didn't know like Um, i have a cat gouger like a straight up like it looks like a cat but my knuckles go in it and that's that's my thing and every once in a while somebody will see it and they're like oh that's cool like punk looking what's that and i'm like it's to protect myself so i can gouge someone's eyes out if i need to Mm -hmm. (laughs) i have a question which just occurred to me now a year later after the release which is just like when i get into a fight with my husband if i approach him in a really angry way he's like much less like or even in political conversations about sexism or whatever like if i approach him in an angry way he's like much more likely to be defensive than if i approach it in like you know a compassionate empathetic way mm-hmm. this movie is really angry yeah like oh, really yeah. really angry and and it's mad at men and it's like really mad at them and so i wonder if that puts some men who aren't already prone to being sympathetic to kind of like the issues that we are bringing up to feel defensive just because of the energy of the movie and how angry it is because one thing that I think is interesting and I actually didn't go like on Twitter, but I so much about it. I didn't do a deep dive, but I did notice that there was, it seemed like there was less hostility to the craft, yes. the new craft. I think there was more anger from women about the craft than there were than men. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think yeah. like, there's a couple things. One is like that movie was already like a movie for women. Like it, had, it kind of already existed in a space that was like, this is a, a horror movie that girls love, you know, whereas I feel like black Christmas is more like, everyone's into it or something but i also like wonder if that movie again and i didn't see it even though i really want to so maybe i'm totally wrong about this theory but like also is that movie maybe not as ragey not as angry and so maybe there's something to the energy of the movie that contributed to people feeling directly attacked oh no it, oh, it's, it's, it's very obvious yeah <laughs> but i think that's interesting and I, it makes me think like I actually didn't want to make a message movie or change any guy's minds for this. this. This sort of goes back to like the very beginning of the conversation. Like this was a movie for women. I don't care. Like we didn't care if it pissed dudes off. It was like not meant for them, but it is interesting to think like because they sensed that they sensed an exclusion they weren't used to. And they mm-hmm. sensed the anger underneath it, that the simmering rage that we were experiencing when we were writing it and were put off by it. And that I, I, I don't know, not that it's justified, but I definitely understand it in that sense. If I were to watch a movie 
that was like a hateful movie about women, I would be like, fuck you, you hate all women. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you in that I, I understand it because you're you're absolutely right. I think men are just, in obviously in a general sense, um, are just so unused to people bringing that sort of anger towards them. They're used to being the ones that are allowed to express that anger. Um, and I think that that feeling is unfamiliar, so they're naturally going to be on the defense. And I found that the men in my life that I consider to be like close friends or, or allies or whoever, they're the ones who watched this movie and they didn't think like, oh yeah, this, this is clearly against me because they're like, it's, I'm not that person. Mm -hmm. So th this movie isn't mad at me. This movie's mad at, you know, the same guy that I'm mad at. And it's, it's really telling, I think like, it's almost as if like, Dudes are telling on themselves when they're like, this movie makes me feel attacked and angry. I'm like, then that's that's saying something about you because you're reading it as this is against me and not this is against a type of man that I am not. It's yeah. quite the Rorschach test, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, and Sophia can strike this down or correct me if I'm wrong, but um, after there was like a New York screening, there was a critic who reached out to her or she reached out to him. I can't remember. Wasn't that guy like super, super angry, Sophia? Oh, I, he never reached out to me. He just... That, that, well, what was interesting about that was that there was like a guy who really loved Always Shine and then really, really hated Black Christmas. And April, something you and I talked about was like, Always Shine is about women hating each other. Yeah. <laughs> I also just fucking love that movie. Oh, I'm just thanks. gonna. I mean, I love it. that movie too. And in a lot, I mean, there's like other things that I think like that movie is made more for adults and so like I can understand why he would prefer one to another but I think that we had an interesting conversation about like maybe it's oh no it was that he called that movie more feminist than this one that yeah. was what it was yeah mm. and uh, that was what was annoying to me it wasn't that he preferred one over the other it was yeah. just the idea of like why is two women hating each other and one killing that other more feminist than this <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. It's a Rorschach test of like, you know, like kind of maybe bringing up some darker things that people aren't necessarily comfortable with, whether you're a man or a woman or anywhere in between. And it's just like something that I am still really proud of that I think that we hopefully made people think and I still think it's a fun movie and I hope that we reach the right people in, in that respect. But I just think that there's something about women characters that that people just kind of, they want to put into a specific box when it comes into horror that makes them feel comfortable. They want a final girl in a traditional sense and they definitely don't want final girls. They don't want women mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. We've we've definitely found that out, um, and we found that out with Birds of Prey that came shortly after. Um, uh, our movies yeah. have a weirdly similar trajectory, which is the strangest thing. And you know, Birds of Prey got knocked on its ass a little bit by some men too. And I just think that they don't like women together for some reason. And I don't like not everyone. And I don't want to generalize because like all the all the men that I know, I like love they. They love the movie and, and they get it, but there's just like a very specific com type of person who feels threatened by that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, speaking from my own personal experience, I don't have any men in my life that I have to worry about being like the kind of people who would be up in arms about this film. No. Yeah, uh, yeah, granted, I'm 
when when you're trans, those people tend to weed themselves out, which is uh, one what of what the only perks. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty nice, honestly. So uh, yeah. I I I definitely think that this is like a really fun, very empowering movie, and I I really love that. Like everyone that I recommend it to just goes like, no, I liked it. Like they they they're not. I, I don't know if they are like quite as like adamantly like, yes, I want to be angry and have fun at the same time. I don't know if they are quite on my level of energy, but like every, no one, no one I've showed it to, or at least recommended they check it out has had a bad time. And um, BJ, you actually have a very fun story when uh, your, your niece saw this movie. Right, I, I do. So I actually have told this to April already in DMs because I was just so excited about it. But um, my niece Roxy, who just turned eight last week, so happy belated birthday, Roxy! Happy birthday, Roxy! Um, happy birthday! She <laughs> she saw Black Christmas um, and loved it. And my like just to like paint the picture, like my niece was the Babadook for Halloween. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Babadook, because she will Frankenstein's monster your ass about that if you call him the Babadook. Like, he has a name and a title, and she'll get really defensive. But, like, she, you know, she was the Babadook for Halloween, and, like, she loves Michael Myers. She's obsessed with Tiffany from all of the Chucky movies. So, like, she's she's a monster kid, and she understands horror, and she understands Final Girls and a lot of those things, despite being, you know, a, a child. But the the text message that I received from her dad was, we watched Black Christmas 2019. Your niece was 100% invested and jumped off the couch, fist pumping, yelled, hell yeah, when the sisters all burst in at the end. So enjoy the serotonin mainline courtesy of Roxy. Yeah, that's so cool. So I feel like that, you know, this movie definitely, like, it... It has the audience, like it's there. It's just a matter of them finding it. And I think that's why it was so important, you know, for for Harmony and I, and I know, you know, plenty of other critics who do love this movie that we consistently and, you know, quite loudly champion it because we know that there are so many people that that need this. Um, So I do kind of want to dive into the culture that surrounded this movie. We've been, you know, teetering in and out of it a little bit, but... I think that it's almost as important to talk about as the film itself because it is just so, like, it's so emblematic of what's kind of going on in in the world um, and and kind of the heart of this movie just was, the point was proven by how people treated it. So when the movie was released and it started receiving, you know, a lot of this backlash, um... I guess, what were your thoughts? Did you expect it to be as intense as it was or just any thoughts or responses you have um, towards the, the the vitriol that surrounded its release? I did not. I mean, April, maybe you did. I like really did not expect it to be so intense. Um, mainly because like we just had to make this movie so fast that I didn't have time to think about the response. Hmm. I think the first time I was surprised was when they announced that it was going to be PG-13, which was a choice we made way after we'd shot them. I mean, not way after, because there wasn't that much time between when we shot it. <laughs> but like, you know, it was a choice we made at the editing room. And it was a choice that was kind of like a combination of wanting it to be accessible to young women and also thinking that that was commercially the right way to go based on test screenings and things. 
And it just seemed like a pretty, to me, like seems like a totally innocuous choice or decision that was made. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really, really surprised that people were so mad about that. Especially because it's like the original Black Christmas was barely violent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, uh-huh. it would be PG-13 if you didn't have all the like weird fucks and like piggy pussy stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that's that's exactly it. So many movies, um, you know, from from back in the day or, you know, before the rating system existed, you know, they would be PG-13 movies and people don't think about them or like um like we talked about the craft a little bit earlier, but when that movie was announced as PG 13, it had to be like that. Hey, do y'all remember that the original craft is only rated R because of witchcraft? Yeah. Like <laughs> that movie is PG 13 too. Calm down. Yeah. And well, so that was like kind of surprising to me. And then again, just like, I didn't understand why it bothered people so much. Like it just, I don't know. I, I was just, didn't understand why people hated the movie so much. Like, I didn't imagine it was a movie that was going to rankle so many people. Because, again, it just, like, seemed so obviously, like, a certain kind of movie that was meant to be taken a certain way. It's, like, kind of funny and fun and campy. It's, like, angry but, like, also campy. <laughs> and so I was surprised that people took it so personally, I guess. Although I had that epiphany today that the reason why was because it was so angry. Um, but I didn't have that epiphany at the time. <laughs> it's April, what was it for you? Uh... I mean, I was a critic already, so I assumed people would be really mad. <laughs> I remember you told me that, actually, and I was like, why didn't you warn me? Like, <laughs> I told you. I was just like, people are going to be really mad. Um, but I still, you know, wanted to do this, like, wholeheartedly. I think neither Sophia and I are going to do anything if we don't think that it is right I feel like and although Sophia is since then because of um you know the way that it was received and stuff like I know that like she's been like oh maybe we didn't do a good job maybe blah but I'm just like I think that Sophia did a fantastic job and I think that we made something of the moment that felt like it could only be made in that moment because Uh we made it so fast and there was no time to think about it. There was no time to censor yourself. And you know what? If that's how we felt and we felt that anger, then I'm glad that it was preserved in a film for this time. Because that time is going to be looked back on years later and we're going to be like, well, what movies were there? How were people thinking about this? How were people th- processing it? And the reality is that we were processing it with quite a bit of anger and masked by quite a bit of campy humor. <laughs> and that's kind of uh-huh. how we were going through our days. And so I, I'm glad that it's there for posterity. And I hope that, um, you know, people discover it with that in mind. Um but yeah, I knew people were going to be fucking mad. And I also knew that there was going to be, you know, just from just from like being a critic, I think, you know, that there's no good marketing campaign for a movie like this necessarily. Uh-huh. Like you have uh-huh. to be really kind of brave, like maybe not a studio and and kind of go outside of those bounds. But there's not going to be a good, easy way to target a demographic that um, that most people in the industry don't even acknowledge exists and that's going to be hard you know and yeah that's one of the big things that we one of the big reasons why we started the show I mean granted it was supposed to be a column and then COVID hit so they were like there's no money for this anymore (laughs) and we're like cool it's gonna be a podcast now but we look at movies that are meant for you know and even saying meant for is is incorrect because we have a ton of 
male listeners and a ton of non-binary listeners, um, you know, so people who are not teen girls and who do not have the teen girl mm-hmm. experience who love a lot of these movies, but movies that I guess you know, from a marketing standpoint, they're like, this is, you know, a teen girl movie. And a lot of these films, they don't get, you know, the the retrospective deep dives. They don't get, you know, analyzed for how important they are, despite the fact that a lot of these movies are so pivotal to a lot of our upbringing and our, our experiences. And I feel like Black Christmas is really interesting to me because I feel like this is going to be a movie that, like, critics 10 years from now when they start talking about like you know gender theory and horror you know and look at things outside of movies that were made in 1978 um this is going to be one that keeps popping up and i I actually it's going to get jennifer's body treatment yes i really do i think it's going to get jennifer's bodied in like a decade but i also had this really weird moment when we were prepping for uh we we did an episode on 16 candles which as many know has aged horrendously (laughs) um but there was this really amazing article that came out during it was during the week of like the brett kavanaugh hearings where they talk about how 16 candles is sort of like you know that's the normalized world that someone like brett kavanaugh came from and like we can see it on film like this is how people thought about women and how they thought about rape culture. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now I look at something like Black Christmas, which came out like as somebody like that was being put into a position of power. And like, this is a movie that is, you know, that's the response. And to look at how like something from, you know, the eighties was like, let's normalize it. And then you have something from 2019. That's like, no, fuck that noise. Um, I think is really, it's just really interesting. And, it was this very nice aha moment to have. I mean, the funniest thing is like, <laughs> this is this is how much of a critic brain I have is when we were watching the movie on the premiere night and the, in the theater, I like sunk a little bit in my seat because I realized that we were going to get Jennifer's body in 10 years. <laughs> I, yeah. And that was the, the hardest part was because I, I even, I talked to my manager about it too. And I was just like, I think this is a really fun movie with a lot of layers that people are going to miss and they're going to find it in 10 years. And I know it already. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that the reviews are going to be great. I think people are going to miss things. I'm still proud of it. And that is kind of like the attitude that I've gone into just like also bolstering Sophia, where it's just like, I think she should be constantly proud of herself and this movie, no matter what any, any angry critic said you know because i am an angry critic myself and i (laughs) i saw it and it was just like well if i could review this i think i would actually give it a positive review that you know uh, i (laughs) it's it's hard it's hard to say that to separate yourself from what you made but it was just like i i could easily easily see it like in that night being jennifer's bodied yeah, I mean, I, I that I'll just throw my hat in the ring. Is I also am a critic sometimes. I guess I'm more of an analyst who yeah. focuses on gender. But I, I I'm a masochist <laughs> who, um, whenever I'm reviewing something or whenever there's a we'll, we'll say a visceral reaction to something, I tend to read a lot of negative comments and reviews and articles about it because I'm like I want to understand why you hate this. And one one thing I kept seeing over and over again, and it was really interesting that you were like, oh, people are going to miss stuff about this movie. And it kind of blew my mind on this third rewatch because there was 
plenty of stuff that I noticed this time when I was like full zeroed in, like really, really focusing. Cause I'm like, I don't want to look like a, a fool on the podcast by <laughs> saying things like sorority instead of fraternity over and over again. Oh, harmony. <laughs> oh, I am, I am such a fool, but uh, one thing I noticed and it was, it was a huge bone of contention when we watched it for our uh, Christmas in July movie night in where I'm seeing people react to it in real time in the chat. One of the biggest things that they were talking about, and I realized now on this third rewatch that they are totally wrong, was in the climax when there is, um, like when they're, when they're gooping up Landon and everyone's wearing hoods and it's all culty and gross uh, there, there, I guess that whole moment, people were talking about how, oh, well, all these people are just brain controlled and you just murdered a bunch of innocent people who had nothing to do with it. And I go, they're not. The pledges were. The pledges were the controlled ones. These guys are just legitimately bad people and yeah. they can burn. <laughs> I actually would go one step further and be like, the pledges wanted to fucking pledge. Like Landon exactly. is literally the only one yeah. who... <laughs> Exactly. So I was just like, I like, I had a moment where I'm watching this and I'm like, BJ, I think I just saw something and I'm yelling at her when she's yeah, in the I'm kitchen. Yeah, I'm trying to like, I work from home and my office is our kitchen. <laughs> and so I'm in the other side of the room and I just hear her yelling from across the room. She's like, ah, I figured it out. They were wrong. And I was like, there's so much energy happening right oh, I'm now. Like, I, I'm like, oh my God, I need, wait, you need to watch this later when I'm at work. For the podcast, and you need to tell me if I'm right, because I'm pretty sure I'm right, and that changes everything. <laughs> it makes the ending so much more hype. I was already hype, now I'm mega hype. Like, yeah, I want to watch these guys get beat with a menorah. Why not? <laughs> that was the favorite tweet nice I ever saw, was recently someone who was, like, so stoked that there was a menorah. They were like, this is the representation. I mean, they were joking. Like, this is the representation I've always wanted. And they were like, so in, into the menorah. In Black Christmas, yeah. we're talking about Judaism, which also, I there's there's the one girl, Fran. She's yeah. so cute. And I'm so sad she got killed after like two scenes. Know, but so BJ was, uh, BJ popped really loud in the theater when she got the uh, Exorcist 3 kill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yelled real loud. It was, <laughs> I immediately turned into like the Leonardo DiCaprio, like, once upon a time in Hollywood point meme, like that was me. I was like, ha, I see it. I see it. It was because I'm again, I'm that person. But okay, I just had this really weird thought. So <laughs> because I just thought about once upon a time in Hollywood and like Leo DiCaprio. So what's very interesting to me is that this movie is so obviously pointing out these like awful men that are like misogynist and doing terrible things and like it's not afraid to show them out and all of these people are like trying to not all men that but then you get a movie like something that tarantino would make where like a character is racist or a character is like blatantly misogynist and then people are like oh yeah but that's the character like it's fine like we don't need to they're not actually being mean to that's women that's just tarantino it's just that's just what's <laughs> happening and i'm like why did we not afford that to like Sophia's movie. Oh wait, we all know why. That That's fine. Was, we hate women. Let's just. Well, that was it. not afforded to Sophia's movie. That was just an aside that like <laughs> popped into my brain now, and I needed to put it out into the world, otherwise it would consume me <laughs> later on. <laughs> so, so I guess um, just to sort of like wrap things up, and I mean, any final thoughts that you have about this movie, the hopes that you have for it. Um, you know, anything you want to, to wax poetic on about just, I guess, making a teen girl movie in general, the floor is yours. 
April, I want to hear what you have to say first. Oh, come. Okay. Like I said, I hope that people continue to find it, and I hope that it becomes a kind of time capsule of this specific moment in American history. And I hope that some girls and women and femmes just get angry and feel comfortable in their anger. I think anger can be transformative. And mm. um, and I, I'm, I feel like we're always told that we shouldn't be angry. And I think that sucks. And I'm happy that we made something that actually represented that because so many people, so many studios, anyone else would just kind of shy away from it. But this is like, you know, this is like a wild opportunity to actually show that and, and how it is in reality and mm -hmm. in some way. And I just want people to like women more. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I, and I also um, just love Sophia with all of my heart. And I just think that more people should always discover her work. Mm. Thanks. That's so nice. <laughs> and also, you said everything I would have said, so. Also, I have to say the fans of Black Christmas, like these are like every person who's like written to me or tweeted at me or been like, yes, this is the movie. Like I, I can tell it's not even like, you know, like ego kind of thing with me. Like I can tell these are the type of people who I'm just like, ah, yes, my tribe because they're angry, you know, they're funny, they're weird, they're angry, they're hurt. And they're kind of like open, open bloody hearts. And I, and I just appreciate those kinds of people. So the fans of, Black Christmas are, I think, the ones that I wanted to reach. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's really good. Like, I know I was, like, making jokes about only focusing on the negative, but it does really make me happy to see people love this movie and love it, like, honestly, like, in spite of some of the flaws. It was, like, a really rushed yeah. movie. There's, like, bad ADR. Like, there's yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. about it that's, like, I would really love to fix. But, like, to see kind of the heart of it and understand what we were what we wanted to do and wanted to say and supporting that, um, supporting that endeavor is like so, so meaningful. April knows I'll like send her cool compliments that people say on Twitter. I like search black Christmas all the time. I'm just like, so I really <laughs> love like, vanity search. <laughs> I really, I like just like, I really like reading uh, or hearing about what people who like the movie take away from it. Because like April said, it's like, so, it is, I think geared towards a particular audience. And so hearing, their point of view is really fun, like the menorah thing, but also other things. But that menorah is like we we placed we placed Dude. these characters in and this these props in very specifically because we had the most amazing props master, this woman called Sophie, and she became a friend of both April and mine. Like we love her. She was like the most like-minded person on set, I'd say. Yeah, we got wasted together quite a bit, and she's Australian, so. She drinks she's awesome. So <laughs> she's just so so cool, and she's like our tribe, like April was saying. And um, but so we were like trying to find a menorah, and there was like no menorahs in New Zealand. It was like really, really, really hard to find a menorah. I just remember that being such a struggle. Yes, it was so weird. Mayonnaise packets too. They don't have mayonnaise packets. Had to make. So <laughs> mayonnaise and menorahs just not something New Zealand is down with, apparently. I'm gonna make a menorah out of mayonnaise. Oh no! <laughs> oh, I just had like, like I felt my whole soul just like leave my body for a second. I was like, that's so much mayonnaise. <laughs> well, we we want to thank you both so so very much for for being here and having this conversation with us because it's been 
it's just been wonderful and it's really nice to be able to gush about a movie that we love so much with the people who made it because I think a lot of times I feel like I'm screaming into the void when I like something and this is <laughs> one of the first chances where I actually get to like tell you directly like hey thank you for making this movie because it resonated with me as you know a, a 29 year old woman at the time and just having that moment of like god I would have killed for this movie when I was, you know, 17 years old. So thank, thank you both for being here. But more importantly, thank you. Thank you for the work that you, you put out into the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so so supportive of it. Yeah, Um, seriously. And being such a fierce advocate. It really means a lot. It does. Not not that you can see this, but I definitely have a uh, die mad about it. Black Christmas (laughs) sticker on my laptop that is up right now. So, (laughs) so like, you know, I was avid about it, but like, this is, um, yeah, like absolutely everything PJ said. This has definitely been a particularly unique experience for me because I'm just, you know, B- BJ goes places and does things with people and is used to stuff. And I'm I mean, like, like in the before times, now I'm a shut in. I'm like, I'm from Cleveland. I don't do anything, but it's like, oh God, stuff I'm doing now is getting back to the people who made it. And now I'm talking to them and I don't know how to process that. That's just a lot. <laughs> So I guess a few things I want to gush about since I have the floor. One, this movie is so much fun, uh, and I don't care if anyone thinks it's dumb. And then the uh, camera pans up, and that guy is standing on, like, the island countertop. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> when uh, when the cop kicks in the door and it's surprised, it's a different sorority. <laughs> and that's, this is just happening across campus. I think that's genius. When Helena's getting these threatening things that sound super threatening, but it's like, oh no, they're not. (laughs) She's in on it. Brilliant. Like so many small details I absolutely uh, love in this movie. And I I just want to, I just really want to go off on that for a hot Everyone should watch it three times like Harmony did because she got it. (laughs) Honestly, like honestly though. And that's like the third viewing was like the most fun one for me. And I, I guess just, the people who are mad about it, uh, this is just a different kind of horror movie. Like, the horror of this movie is very grounded, despite the supernatural elements, because the horror is, oh, there's a guy walking behind you just a little too close, so you have to get your keys. The The horror is that, like, someone is just kind of messaging you that you don't know, threatening stuff online. The horror, like, the, that, that people who wanted this movie to be, they wanted, like... Um, for like the uh, Christmas lights uh, kill, uh, what's is it Jesse? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they they want when like she turn when she gets turned around in that chair. They want to see the gore. They want to see yeah, like so the April. shard in her face. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to see the gore. I wanted to see the mirror. Jalo reflected. Yeah, I mean, I think it looked. I think it looked great. But like this movie doesn't need. Uh, this movie didn't need to be any more. I guess bloody. I'm aware of, like, the gruesome, horrible things that exist out in the universe. I didn't need to see it in this movie, so I think that, like, that was that's a, that was a good choice, at least from my perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also am, like, pretty gore-averse. This was, like, a big uh, thing with April. She was, like, always pushing for more gore, which <laughs> turned out we couldn't have because either yeah. the script, scenes we wrote in the script there weren't locations for or we took them out in PG-13. Yeah, but part of that, too, I think we need to make clear is that the MPAA has 
interesting rules for they're they're just they're weird because if you have i think that if we didn't have the rape backstory and that being a part of it i think we could have we would have so much more violence it's true yeah but because we really interesting rape as a storyline in it um even though we're not really showing anything it's just because it's talked about candidly you can't get away with violence you can't get away with other things because it's almost like you've you've already reached your quota very quickly by talking about rape and so we're talking about misogyny let's talk about the fucking system of misogyny that, that prevents us from doing these things anyway i have a lot to say about that but we're wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> no i think that i think that that's also the really really important because i don't think a lot of people know that that's how how it works that if you if you talk about if you talk about rape, then suddenly like the violence has to go away. But at the same time, it almost feels like, like we get away with so much more extreme violence as long as like sex or sexuality are not involved at all in the slightest. But the second there's even like a breath of sex or sexuality, then it's like, oh, now everything must be scaled back because there's sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. No, thank you for, for coming on. I can't say that enough. Like this was this is a treat. <laughs> so we we end our show uh, similarly in uh, in the same fashion uh, where where Harmony is asked a question. So Harmony, Black Christmas twenty nineteen is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the note back? I will say yes. However, I don't want to go to prom. I want to go to Orphan Christmas. Because <laughs> we're being festive. <laughs> orphan Christmas would be great. That would be lovely. I cooked ham last year for like our own Orphan Christmas. Ham is that easy to cook. <laughs> <laughs> well, on, on that note, we will, we will head on out. So... April and Sophia, where can people find you if you want them to find you? And do you have anything that you would like to promote that people should be on the lookout for? Ooh. Well, I have a private t Twitter, um, but some days I make it public just on a whim. And it's <laughs> Sophia the Coolest with one O. It's supposed to be Sophia the Coolest. <laughs> uh, um, and I guess the only thing for me to promote is sort of peripheral. I produced a movie that my husband directed called Black Bear, which stars Aubrey Plaza that's coming out. It came out today, the day we're recording it, which is December 4th. But I think it will still be on iTunes in a couple weeks. So It will There's always be on iTunes. so excited to see that movie because everybody is like, hey, uh, I think you're going to like this. I think it's like your shit. And then it was VOD today. So I'm like, I have a lot of movies to watch this week. There's so many good movies coming out this week. Um, I, hope, I really hope you like it. I think it's, it's, it's a really incredible movie. Yeah. Awesome. I'll, I'll plug that movie too. Um, <laughs> people shouldn't find me on Twitter. It's for the best. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe just, just keep an eye out for the next thing that Sophia and I are doing together, which we can't really talk about, but is, yeah, keep an eye out. Just keep oh, an I eye love out whisper there. NDA conversations. Those are my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to tell you, but I can't. Yeah. It always sounds so mysterious. It's my whole life right now. <laughs> <laughs> You, you know what I for the first time in my life I can actually say like I kind of I kind of get that like I got to sign like an NDA and I was like yeah. oh my god I'm important now yeah. it felt really good <laughs> <laughs> um, but for those listening you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom you can also subscribe to our Patreon where we have fun things like the Sadie Hawkins dance where Harmony makes me watch teen boy movies um, <laughs> or our sleepover commentary tracks where we do uh, full-length commentary for movies that aren't quite teen girl movies but are definitely 
definitely worthy of sleepover watches as well as where you can find the show schedule out ahead of time and Harmony's monthly playlist. Um, you can find me at BJ Colangelo. It's just my name. Harmony, where can people find you? I'm on social media at uh, Velocitraptor, Velosa <laughs> underscore trap underscore tour. I am only on the Instagram and the Twitter. And before we go, I also want to say one thing because I am forever a wife guy. Um, Harmony was recently chosen as the best bartender in Cleveland, like the whole damn city. And we need to put this on record on the episode. Um, and then again, uh, always thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title um, for our theme song. They're amazing. They have new music out. Uh, support them as well. But that will wrap it up for us today on Black Christmas 2019. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.